0: Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend, thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house, your weekend wake up tradition. Can you believe it's already November? Good morning. It is the first Saturday of the month. It's Rosie on the house, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. And the first Saturday of the month in this eight o'clock hour, outdoor living hour. We have Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau and talking about some local farm fresh commodity that's coming right out of our fields and uh, crops and ranches right here in Arizona. If you follow along in the home maintenance calendar, you see we've got cotton today. And before we introduce your guest, Julie, and get to cotton, I was reading my Feel Your Plate, not my Feel Your Plate, I was reading my feeds and FuelYourPlate.org blog came in, and it was ways to use your leftover pumpkins. I thought, you know, there's probably a few people out there that might not have thrown (laughs) them out yet or tossed them out, might be laying around. I thought we'll go ahead and hit that uh, repurpose of the pumpkin real quick before we get into cotton today.
1: Yes. And we, uh, on our blogs, which we publish three new articles every week, we try to have it centered around what's going on. And We know a lot of our Arizona families had their pumpkins for Halloween, which seems forever ago already, but it was only days ago. So we have an article on FillYourPlate.org that can help you understand how
0: to compost them. When you go to FillYourPlate.org, it's on the right-hand side towards the bottom where you see the link to the blog. And once you get there, you have Lots of uh, additional content there as well. So there's there's no shortage of information. And here we are only 46 days away from the winter solstice. And we've got beautiful weather, beautiful uh, skies. This is great farm weather.
1: It's wonderful. And we're all loving it. And Cassie england Forbes, our guest in the studio today, we were just talking about it walking up. And I'm very excited to introduce her. She's so... She's from the England family, and they're Pinal County farmers. And the Murphy family that were Pinal County farmers, too, have known them forever. So I am just so blessed to have her in studio. And Cassie, a first question I typically ask a new guest, and you're a new guest to Rosie on the House. Tell us your farm family story.
2: No problem. Well, thank you for having me today. Um, We started farming, uh, the England family. My great-grandfather actually started farming in Pinell County in the early 1930s, and he was one of the first uh, Delta Pine cotton variety farmers. And he farmed up until, I think, 1958, and then um, we had a short break, and my grandfather started farming again in the 1970s um, for auction, the community. And then in the 1990s, he branched out and started farming in the Eloy area along with my uncle, who also farmed in the area. Um, and that's where we started was in the Pinell County Eloy area, uh, primarily a cotton farmer. And um, we've been in it ever since I was born and raised on the farm. So
1: I totally remember your grandpa, um, Don England, and so adored him. And it was just a great guy and um, an amazing farmer. So that causes me then to lead into the question what inspired you to get into farming and specifically cotton production?
2: So I right when I was younger I wasn't as involved in the farming per se on a daily basis. Um, So in college I had chosen to go into a different field. I was going to be a massage therapist and I continued on that for a while and then I got a degree in business and started helping in the office and more and more on the farm. And so I expanded more into the farming side, um, after I had my first son and started helping in the office. And then when my grandpa finally retired in the mid early two thousands, we decided I, well, I begged him to, um, take the smaller farm near his home and, uh, teach me the day to day of cotton farming. And so we took I think, five seasons, actually, of of growing there on the property and showed me every detail of it so I could get a more hands-on approach. So dive into that a little bit, this relationship you had with your grandpa.
1: Uh, Again, someone I knew really well and totally admired. He was boots-on-the-ground kind of farmer, loved it, did it really well. Talk a little bit about your relationship with your grandpa that inspired you to do what you're doing today.
2: Yes, he was a very... um, involved farmer. He was there every day. He he was always just it was his love. His first love was always farming. He always made a joke that when he was a little kid he had a, a shovel cut off to his height just so he could irrigate, even though he was probably too little to be doing that. <laughs> but um so he's always been a farmer and he's very hands on. He was always in the forefront of trying to be as efficient and as as conservative with water as he possibly could be he loved growing cotton and he um just continued that love throughout not only me my brothers also loved farming because of it I have a younger brother who also spent as much time as he could with him so he could learn from him and um he was also a mechanic by trade so he was always in the shop and I just loved sitting out in the shop watching him work and work on equipment and um the more I was in the office the more The love for it just grew, and so I knew it was something that I wanted to stay with and continue on and have my children do.
1: And it sounds like you mentioned five seasons of growing cotton hand, you know, shoulder to shoulder with your grandpa to learn the system, the process, because – Cotton is a complicated crop.
2: Yes, it is. And And it's a (laughs) long-season growing crop. It's easy to make a farm budget, but actually getting hands-on in the field, it's a whole different ballgame. And so when you are – in our county, it's such a large county, and we're so far spread out that it's easy to get – not involved in every single aspect of it whenever you've got so much going on. And so that helped me focus and be able to see, like, the irrigation every day, how much fertilizer we're putting on, how often it needs to be sprayed, and all just the details. And it was very, very eye-opening and helpful. And I, I truly appreciate the time he took to teach me and spend that. So special. And it because you said
1: it is a large county, Pinal County, And one of the statistics that we just brought up, 1% of U.S. County, Maricopa or Pinal County is 1% of U.S. counties for production of cotton. In other words, it's way up
2: there. Yeah, we're in the top 1% of cotton-producing counties, I believe, in the U.S. from what I was uh, reading online. And it definitely is a big role, especially in our county. It's a, a large contribution to the economy.
1: Right. So what challenge you the most about getting into farmer farming and certainly cotton farming just because it's a complicated crop
2: well it is a complicated process and it's something that you really um, it takes a lot of research and preparation and there's so many different aspects when you're farming cotton you have to be a marketer and a budgeter and I mean you have to do so many different roles and so just understanding the whole process and being able to take the risk sometimes whenever people don't realize in farming you have so much um, invested in the crop. And so it takes a lot from you financially, and so you have to be prepared for that. And sometimes it takes time to get ready for, to start that.
1: You're always managing risk is one of the conclusions that I always step away yes. from after <laughs> I talk to my farmers. Managing risk. Yes. And on that point, um, cotton does take water. And we will get into that a little bit. And a lot of people think, well, why are we growing cotton in the desert? Well, the Hohokam were growing cotton in the desert. Our archaeologists discovered that. So cotton has been growing in Arizona for a long time. And it's important for us to realize how diverse our agriculture is. Cotton happens to be one of those crops. Yes, it uses water, but when you think of the most recent peak production of cotton, in 2012, we were growing 200,000 acres. Mm-hmm. In 2022, we're planting approximately, we planted approximately 80,000 acres. So we've really gone down in our acreage. Rumor has it planned planting of acres for 2023 will even be less than the 80,000, correct?
2: Yes. With our Pinell County cutbacks on CEP water, um, we'll... We're anticipating probably a 50% reduction in our cotton and overall crops for the... Overall, and then
1: also for you on your own farm, you'll probably be growing about less than...
2: Yeah, probably about 50% than we normally do. Okay. And so that's going to cause a reduction just in... Yeah, the CAP water is a a big factor involved in our area's production of all crops, so... So
1: because I mentioned water, you mentioned water, what... Are your water challenges, what are you dealing with? Especially in Pinal County, you guys are getting hit a little bit harder than some of the other counties.
2: We've had a good summer with rain, which is a positive. But um, the CAP water reductions have been the major factor involved. And also um, planning and just trying to mitigate reduction as best we can with changing our crop rotations and increasing our winter crop. So, that you're able to utilize water at different points in time and not relying heavily on your summer water.
1: Because you're going to be using less water during the winter.
2: Yes, because okay. primarily, like the winter crops, it starts in November and you plant and water. And with cotton, you're not starting until usually March. And so, you're able to utilize um, groundwater more equally throughout the year, and so it's it's helpful, especially whenever we're going to have to rely on more groundwater in our area for future seasons. And there's
1: rules to it. I mean, you're limited on how many acre-feet per acre. Acre is our measurement
2: in agriculture. Acre-feet per acre that you can use. Oh, yes, in every aspect of it. So, we're utilizing groundwater, but our groundwater is heavily... Um, Reported to the state, we have to report annually our usage, and everyone has a limit. And so they're really great with efficiency in our area because of this. It, it causes us all to try to be as efficient as we possibly can and reduce our water usage. And there's
0: – go ahead. Well, And I had an article saved. I just save articles about water because it, it very uh, – it's fascinating. The groundwater in Eloy area – in the last 20 years has actually increased because they the amount of water we were using off the CAP canal Correct. allowed the groundwater aquifers to naturally refill because we weren't pumping out so we're not getting the CAP water to Pinal County like we were but we also have more reservoir of underground water because it hadn't been pumped as heavily so right it's a you know very it's it's a, a never ending juggling act. You know, you always have to change and adapt to whatever is available to you. We've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, in studio with Cassie England of uh, Pinal County Cotton Farms.
1: When I was a little bitty, baby,
0: my mama you never knew they were singing about Arizona, did it you?
2: <laughs> we did not. I love this song
1: though. When Mom and I were in the National Cotton Council, sometimes that was one of the segment songs that we would uh, walk to in the modeling shows that we had. We went all over the country modeling for the cotton industry. Anyway, we were talking offline. Cassie, give us the life cycle of the cotton plant.
2: So, um, you normally, so the season starts, well, the season never really ends. You start ground prep in... um, the end of the year. So norm- normally about November, December, after it's harvested, you get ground prepped. And then March is you start pre-irrigating and start planting. And planting season can go anywhere from the end of March all the way to uh, May 15th. And so once you get it planted, then
0: is in that planting time, is there a temperature you're looking for? to stay within.
2: Yeah, you want the groundwater or ground temperature up and so you're looking for warmer days. So whenever the temperature's up is uh, primarily the best time. So if you've got a little bit colder longer setting in time then you'll plant later. So usually mid-April is ideal in our area. And then once it's in, you wait some time normally, especially if you've pre-irrigated to irrigate again. And um, usually, normally when you're having a seed contract with like Delta Pine or something, you have to put um, some herbicide down to prevent weeds. And then you start irrigating and the season begins. And you start with irrigation and then onward.
0: And in that irrig- pre-irrigation cycle, you're getting the soil moist to help the seed germinate, I'm assuming. do you, Is there fertilizer that's put in?
2: Yes, you usually normally um, inject fertilizer also early on so that you prevent... Loss. It's a, just a more efficient way of putting it on.
0: And you had said it earlier in the broadcast that I missed it, but the, the type of cotton that your grandfather originally started.
2: Um I, I my grandfather had informed me I wasn't aware of this previously, but he said that his dad, um, in the nineteen fifties was one of a grower for Delta Pine. And that's what Delta we grow Pine. now. Now, um just out of coincidence, I didn't realize it was such a Still
0: the same long cotton standing. seed.
2: Yeah, and so we we have a field day with um, Delta Pine on one of our farm locations, and so we grow some of the test varieties for the following seasons in small plots, and then they have a field day, and reps and other farmers come out and, and view the crops and see how the varieties have done to see what would be best in our area.
1: And they constantly are improving on that seed. That's one of the reasons why we have the production we have, especially in California and Arizona. We have some of the cleanest purest white cotton throughout the country we do it really good and part of it is so we don't have the rain we can apply
2: the water very efficiently and apply it when it's needed yes yes and our heat uh the warmer temperatures just have a we have a better crop in general just because of our warm temperatures and the ability to put water on when we need to and have the irrigation is key
1: cotton likes the heat Yes, it does. It does. It's a heat happy. So
0: we're about uh, the end of May now, and the seeds are in. We've got it planted. We've got it fertilized, pre-irrigated. We're irrigating again. Mm -hmm. Sprouts shoots start to come up. How big uh, will will these cotton bushes – is it a bush? A plant. plant? We just
2: call it a plant. So it gets – it starts to grow, and throughout the season, um, we utilize a product uh, – plant growth regulator and it helps to keep the plant shorter because cotton likes to take off and grow and instead of you wanting it to get tall you'd want it to produce more fruit and because that's essentially the main reason for it is is the fruiting and seed production so by using plant growth regulator you're stunting the height but increasing the production of of bowls of cotton and so you're starting that process mid-may you know it's up it's coming and it's and you're going to keep monitoring it irrigating it um in the hottest times throughout the summer months we usually apply water every seven to 12 days um to keep it going dependent on the ground but that's usually the average and you continue doing that and rotating between watering and very minimal field work but sometimes you do some light tillage to keep weeds down in between early on but you keep going and then it it's applications of different spray products as you maintain insect control and weed control. And then by September, you're starting to shut off your water and getting it ready to, to defoliate.
0: And when does the cotton actually you know bloom out from – the outside of the shell is kind of like not that different looking from what I would say like a pecan. Uh-huh. You know, it's a, it's a very hard shell. A bowl, and then it... The bowl.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the bowl. So once it's fully developed, it starts to open up. Um, by it, it varies, but usually like August you start seeing um, cotton and it's starting to open. And then by September, October, you're in full, like ready to be defoliated, which is like the process of drying it out in the field, stopping the water, and applying a product that essentially kills a cotton plant, so that the leaves can start to fall off, and so you're able to get less trash whenever you harvest. And, and
1: when did you start harvesting for this year? And that that kind of ranges, but typically for you Normally in Pinal it's County,
2: early, and we're as a county, I think a little later, just due to the rain we've had. But it's um, we've been harvesting. I think it's been about four weeks now. That okay. We've started,
1: but no. a, definitely in November, and even potentially into the first part of december just depending on how many acres you have yes, to harvest
2: yeah you're usually harvesting by the end of I, normally october is whenever we're starting to harvest okay so okay no.
0: very good well we can do a lot of things but we can't stop the clock the music is taking us to the bottom of the hour. news we'll continue the conversation and talk about you know uh, the combining process where where does the cotton then go uh from there and and uh, the, there's not only the cotton itself, but the cotton seed. We've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, in our monthly Farm Fresh segment here the first Saturday of the month with Sierra Farms. Walking in high cotton, old times they are not forgotten. Those fertile fields are never far away. Home was the hardest thing we ever faced. A beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Thanks for sticking with us. It is Rosie on the House, our 8 o'clock hour, outdoor living hour, first Saturday of the month. We're talking farm-fresh commodities, and today's topic is cotton. And Julie, you have quite a list of uh, data of research here that you're going to kind of cover about the cotton industry itself from?
1: From Cotton Incorporated and also a statistic from the USDA – their statistical area. So, cotton in Arizona is the sixth leading crop, and its cash receipts for the latest cycle of number assessments is 156 million, and that's just in the co- cash receipts. That's not factoring in. All the contributions that we make to the economy because of suppliers to the industry, the labor and all that fun stuff, $156 million cash receipts. But on top of that, Cotton Incorporated gives us some really neat statistics on the conservation side of things that I think people will appreciate. Soil conservation has increased by reducing soil loss by 68%. That's taken place over the last 20, 30 years Water used to grow cotton accounts for only about 3% of the world's ag water use. You don't hear that that often, but that's a statistics according to the Cotton Incorporated outfit. In the U.S., 64% of the cotton is grown by naturally falling rainfall and irrigation water. Um, and that use, irrigation water ha- use has declined by 75%. Of course, obviously here in Arizona and California, we have to use managed targeted irrigation Cotton has a neutral greenhouse gas footprint, and in fact, the amount of CO2 removed by cotton plants worldwide from the air is equivalent to taking 7 million cars off the road. And then these are a couple of other fun facts. In the U.S., there has been a 50% reduction in the number of pesticide applications over the last 25 years. Most people don't realize that cotton is actually considered a fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, bugs, like you and I, like fruit. So it's a very, that's why I admire our cotton farmers so much because it is a complicated crop to manage. And then pesticide use, pesticides are used by farmers to stabilize yields and production and produce an abundant and affordable supply of food and fiber. So having considered and, all that. Well, and a ahead. big
0: part of that pesticide reduction is what you were talking about earlier when the uh, Delta pine comes out and they do the research and, you know, you you're, growing, crafting, dramatically modifying the seed to be more resistant against pests.
2: Right. Yes, yeah. There are contributions to just the scientific – the science side of cotton production is so important, especially when it comes to pesticide and insecticide applications. And over just even in the 15 years or so that I've been watching this more so closely – I've seen a dramatic reduction in applications just due to their scientifical finds and improvements to the seed in general. And so that really helps utilize as little amount of pesticides as you're able to. And that's what everybody's – all of our goal is little to no pesticides and as minimal herbicide applications as you can do. So – that's yeah it's very much it so, which a drops to
0: the bottom line for right. the farmer because that's less product less time less oh, equipment yeah. used to in applying those and uh, we've got Cassie England you yes. are is fourth England. generation yes. Yeah.
2: farmer yes yeah fourth generation Arizona cotton farmer and uh, yeah. and she loves it so i
1: do we were we were kind of talking about harvest one of my favorite times when you think about the cotton life cycle because it's just, it's just awesome seeing those cotton pickers go down. the And then the, the mo- modern-day cotton pickers, where the module comes right off. It's spit right off out the back of the modern-day cotton pickers. So talk about the harvest a little bit.
2: Okay. So, yeah, we start harvest, and um, it has changed dramatically with the improvements to the cotton pickers. But we have the round bell picker now. And, and
0: I, it was very interesting to hear that I didn't realize you actually killed the plant to make the leaves drop. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to you – know, You said you get cleaner cotton, so it's less on the production side and cleaning side because you don't have as much leaf in there. Yeah, because if you
2: had the green leaves, it would – I think – well, we've never done it. But I assume that whenever – if you had the green leaves, it would get in the cotton and then it would also stain the cotton. So you've got to get the leaves um, dead and as off as much as possible. So it's nice when it's a little windy to help those dead leaves fall off and then keep the trash out of the gin and out of your modules. But – it's definitely... And you have had wind this season. Yeah, we've had a little bit of wind, a little bit more rain. So um, it kind of slows you down, especially when it rains. you When harvest time starts, it's it's everybody's, I think, favorite time because you can finally get to see your, what all this work has been put in for. And so until you get those in the modules and in the gin, you've always got the factor of the environment. So you've got rain or hail or different damages that can occur. So once it's harvested, you you have some relief. You kind of breathe a deep sigh. Yes, you really do. <laughs> season's done. It's done. It's over. You can see what you get, your fruits of your labor, and then you're able to get it into the gin, and then everyone's pressing on them to get it processed and ready to, to get put onto trucks and Before shipped out. Before
0: we get to the gin, uh-huh. what kind of machines are we using? Are they big combines? What do you, what do you call the... So,
2: so cotton pickers are what we utilize. Um, we have the John Deere. I think it's a CP690 is the newest version we have. Um, I I know there's a newer one out, but um, it is able, prior to the new cotton picker with the round bells, we were utilizing, it's called a module builder. And so you have a crew of people near the field and the cotton picker has a basket on the back. It comes and dumps it into the module builder and then it is compressed and it is topped with a, like a, a tarp and then sits and a truck comes and picks it up and takes it to the gin. But you've eliminated one of those steps with this round
1: bell yes. cotton baler. So you've reduced a step and a cost and also
2: some labor, right? Yeah, it's reduced labor quite tremendously. The cost of the, the machine itself has gone up um, quite a bit. But just in general, you use less fuel, less manpower, and it's wrapped in a plastic um, wrapper. so it's And it's compressed pretty well. And so they're able to put those on the trucks they're they had to do some improvements and changes in shipping wise for getting it from the field to the gin but other than that it's a lot more efficient so now could you
0: repurpose that machine i mean we're talking round bale like alfalfa hay i mean can it do both of those types of crops or is it no. just cotton
2: it's just a cotton harvester and that's all yeah that's all they're utilized for everything's kind of got its own equipment and so yeah nope that one's just forgotten. so maybe one day the manufacturers will figure that
0: one out <laughs> too for us but of course so now you've got these round bales and you're mm-hmm. still but still the same thing you're waiting for the trucks to come pick them up
2: yep they've usually got a truck driver or a company that comes out picks it up takes it to the gin for you and normally uh there's gins throughout the county and so everybody kind of tries to keep their footprint small move close by use a gin or a very high efficiency yep. gin we utilize one in the area and so once it's at the gin, they process it, remove the seed, de the seed, um, and the seed is then either taken by the seed company that we've grown the cotton for, like Delta Pine, and then they process it, treat it, and bag it and resell. Or the cotton seed is then utilized as either feed for cattle or other uses. Uh, yes, yeah, different things. The gin essentially sells the seed for us, and then it's, and that is one of your revenue
1: aspects of it is you get a there's revenue from the seed
2: oh yeah it yeah. has its own revenue source okay. so there's two sources um it's the oil seed crop and then it's also the lint so you've got multiple sources of income with cotton and, and
0: in each cotton bowl when it blooms do, is there like one seed per bowl
2: no there's multiple seeds so within that bowl each lock of the cotton there's multiple seeds and so as it's processed and pulled apart um they take all of the seeds out of each bowl it's normally it's about a 36% or th- between 35 and 40% of what you harvest is the weight of lint. So the actual fiber is about 40%, the remaining is the seed and other products but and we usually did, the seed weight.
1: For the Romero family we d- did bring in some cotton samples thanks to Cassie. Thank you Cassie. You're and welcome. the one other thing I wanted to point out because we're talking about the seed is most don't know that cotton is also a food crop. And one of it is the cottonseed oil. Chefs love it because it fires up at a high flash point. So if they want to heat that up oil up higher, they can do that with cotton. Uh, the cottonseed oil is also tasteless. So if they want their flavor, flavor profile to come from all the wonderful, like example, Cajun spices for our Cajun family here, they mm-hmm. would use that Yum. instead of some of the uh, like olive oil, a lot of times will contri- contribute the flavor to it. But you had a point on the health aspect of cottonseed oil.
2: Yes, they're doing research currently. Um, I know Cotton Incorporated is part of it, and um, it's still in the early stages. But from what they've shown us, it's possible um, by adding cottonseed oil to your diet and reducing other fats, um, it's shown to reduce your bad fats and your cholesterol. So that looks promising. So hopefully that's something they can prove. And whenever I mention
1: cottonseed oil, people say, "Well, we're kind of get it because this sounds like exciting stuff. I want to be like a real chef." Um, so, believe it or not, I've ordered cottonseed oil through Amazon. It's almost like you can buy anything and everything in Amazon. A lot of times, cottonseed oil in the vegetable oil will be one of the blends of the vegetable oils, and uh, oftentimes it's the largest. So, if you're getting a good vegetable oil for your cooking most likely cotton seed oil is in that. Oh wow. And how else can you get it? Do you know any other? I'm
2: not sure. I know when when I was younger uh, there was a company that did they actually processed it in our town. It smelled great.
1: Oh, but cool. um
2: that was in like I think the 90s and it and it it's up, not there it's anymore. It's not there any longer.
1: So what is one of your favorite aspects of growing cotton now that we kind of f- heard about the whole life cycle and by the way everyone, yes, this is one of the big crops that we Pretty much export all of it, but remember. So it's not easy to talk about this as a local. It is a local crop because we grow it locally. But just in Pinal County alone, two point three billion dollars of an economic contribution is coming into Pinal County because of our cotton. So it is true that it is out exported, but we're bringing valuable dollars into our economy.
2: Oh yeah, yeah with was yeah with us being. Yeah, that's such a huge contribution for the agricultural economy of Pinell County. It's just – but it – I love whenever – the cotton season, I I like the whole season. But the main thing is at harvest time, I like to see the fruits of the labor. So getting to see what our yields are and getting past all the hurdles of – you know, sometimes there are insect issues depending on the weather. It's – and so just getting through that, getting to the end of the season and, and getting to prepare and plan for the next season, I really enjoy that. It, it's very rewarding. So that's what you get out of it. That's so neat.
0: And the export, uh, you know, it could be the cotton seed as well, but we hadn't covered the lint side of the cotton either. So once we're separated, the seed and the, the lint, you know, we've got the cotton gins here that do that. But then they send the lint to where? Text how? How is that clean, packaged, and shipped out?
2: So cotton um, is normally taken – from our area, it goes to Long Beach, and then it's shipped out. And so we deal with cotton marketers. So um, cotton has a really great marketing system set up, and um, that's able – to help us, because yeah, marketing cotton would be impossible to do, you know, on your own, and so they utilize their sources and and sell it to different textile mills, and then it's distributed. So whoever the purchaser is, um, they get it at the port, I believe, in Long Beach, and then it goes from there, and so it can go anywhere. Um, I know with the better quality you get out of Arizona and California cotton, I think it goes to for a lot of clothing, I believe, and so. The. That- Uh, For so long now,
1: I've heard about the Japanese really liking our long staple cotton, like the Pima cotton. Uh It has the longer fiber, so it's high-end, and they loved it for high-end men's shirts and stuff like that.
0: Cassie, you've taken us through the cotton process, but I understand you guys are doing more than just cotton right now.
2: Yes, so we have cotton, but with the changes in water, and we've always utilized other crops also just to keep our nitrogen inputs lower. When you when you rotate properly, you get uh, better fertilizers in the ground, and alfalfa especially is, is great as a rotation crop for cotton. So we utilize alfalfa, and we have... Alfalfa in the rotation, and we also have um, the last year or so we've increased tri- quite dramatically on our barley and grain crops, some more of the winter crops, and that's used for feed mainly in the area for different livestock operations or, or
0: Dairy, dairies. farms. Yeah.
2: And so we've kind of stuck with that. Um, but alfalfa is something we've also always done, and so that's always been probably about 25% of our farming operation is usually with alfalfa. And Cassie,
1: you're of Sierra Farming and Sierra Farming Hay Sales, correct? Yes. So that ties into the alfalfa and that 25% of your business that you do. So it is diversified. And this has been a wonderful interview. We've learned a lot about cotton and all the neat things that are going on. But what are you anticipating for the future? Like what's... What's the next big thing for you? I can tell you guys are kind of expanding your farm. You're leasing more ground.
2: We're trying to stay... With the decrease in acreage from the water reductions with the CAP water, um, we tried to get smarter with where we're located at. And so we try to utilize the most water-efficient ground as possible. And so we have, over the years, kind of evolved and changed and moved a little more southern. And so... We've just been trying to keep our acreage up because in any industry, you know, you have equipment costs. And so those never change, even if your acreage is reduced. And so you try to be as efficient and cost conscious as you can be. So keeping the acreage up, um, we really, we are always trying to be on the forefront for improvements. I think cotton will always be one of our number one crops. We're the top three fiber producers in the world, Arizona is. We have some of the best quality cotton and it's something we I think we we should never stop. I mean, they're showing I think it was a three million bill reduction this year, possibly in cotton, and you know as a as a whole for the economy. But we definitely are going to continue that. But helping with the feed cost for dairies um, that's something it's so hard with the water reductions for them to even find feed. And so keeping that in the rotation to help us and to help them is something that we've really kind of added more so. The rotation aspect of it is critical. I remember the day I
1: hung out with you and we drove all over and just getting from one area of your farming to another area was kind of tricky in some senses. It can take like half the day to, and it's not like I'm not making it sound like it's huge, but it's just, well, it's, it was a patchwork of different fields that you yeah. are managing.
2: And they're not all in the same area. So right. our farming operation is in three different water districts. And so each water district has its own challenges and that in itself um, shows. So we're in three different water districts, but also in three different towns were spread out. And so with the growth in the Valley in the Phoenix area, it's also increased our land value and so people are starting to buy more of the farm ground and so you have to be smart with where you're located at try to stay on top of what's available and so over time it has changed we've been in Eloy and now we're more in Red Rock and in Casa Grande as well but that's yeah where our most of our water reductions are in the Casa Grande area more so than we have at other locations so
1: we didn't get to talk that much about technology because there was so much to cover, but um, the different types of irrigation they're doing for cotton. And so much of it today has been so modernized that it continues to reduce that, you know, the amount of water per acre, whether that's siphon to basin irrigation structures, uh, pivots. Um, I don't see pivots being used so much for cotton, but mm-hmm. certainly for your alfalfa. And then um, the subsurface drip irrigation and unfortunately because of the cost per acre for subsurface drip irrigation or soil type just doesn't make sense for that you don't see it but it is one of the more highly um, efficient use in terms of reducing the water but there's also a high maintenance cost for
2: Oh, yes. Some and also there's other aspects of that that I wasn't aware of. So like it's it's so deeply underground. Sometimes the crops, it's hard to get it to the crop, especially for seed starting and things okay. like that. So you can kind of have challenges. Um, we've looked into it. It's not a, something we've utilized, but we utilize a lot of laser leveling to reduce water usage to get as level for the ground as we can. So the water flows more quickly and evenly across the fields. And even just trying different planning techniques, planning on the flat instead of putting up rows, it helps water spread easily. It seems to be something that in the last few years we've utilized more. And um, it's something I think we'll continue to, to put into the the practice i can tell you never get bored with farming no there's always something to do it's either you got to check the weather you've got to check stay on top of programs and and different things to help especially nrcs programs that that really helps our area so
1: you're also constantly reading
2: yes it's a very it's a, a study you're always studying something in agriculture so there's always such new improvements
0: Cassie england at sierra farms
2: Sierra Farming. Yes.
0: Sierra Farming. Thanks for coming up this Saturday morning and spending your time in the studio. Julie Murphy, uh, somebody can go to azfb.org and sign up to become a Farm Bureau member. For only 60 bucks a
1: year. It's one of the cheapest memberships around, but it's such a contribu- contribution to Arizona agriculture.
0: And we'll see you in December talking yes. about uh, feasting traditions. So yes. that'll be a lot of fun. Look forward to seeing uh, your lineup for that uh, Saturday coming up here just. It'll be here before we know it.
1: Yes. Thank you, Romy. Thank you.